the four horsemen. What you have here is the four horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those four horsemen. These four horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. Welcome to the fourth podcast of the new uh, Four Horsemen. That's a lot of four. It is a lot of four. Podcast. Dennis has been waiting to say that for three episodes. Um, four is a holy number. We are the Four Horsemen. Uh, Benjamin Kerfman, Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, and me, your host for the week, Terry Hollifield. Our format is going to be a topic of news that has come up in recent days related to politics and evangelical Christians and who can be saved and those sorts of things. And uh, we're also going to discuss another topic along more along theological lines that has come up recently within the church, and that is the relation of the Old Testament to modern Christians. Potential uh, heat this week, but we intend to bring light, uh, we hope, to the subject. So first, an item of news. Recently, uh, Robert Jeffress, who's the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, uh, was invited to pray uh, at the uh, embassy, the new embassy that uh, President Donald Trump has uh, set up in Jerusalem. We can talk about, uh, gentlemen, whether uh, you think that has some uh, prophetic things. I know Ben doesn't. Ben, Dennis might. Uh, anyhow, um, so there's been a stink kind of come up about this that uh, Robert Jeffress has taken what seemed to me to be some very uh, clear evangelical views of non-Christian faiths, but there's been uh, some stink about that because he's now taken a position where he's offered to pray in this official capacity by the president. And some of the articles that have been put out about Pastor Jeffries have quoted things like him calling uh, Islam a false religion, Amen. Uh, <laughs> saying that God sends good people to hell, including Jews and Muslims. Not only do religions like Mormonism, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, not only do they lead people away from God, they lead people to an eternity of separation from God in hell. Among the people who have been upset about that are former presidential candidate, perennial presidential candidate Mitt Romney. He, uh, of course, would take offense to uh, Jeffers saying that Mormons uh, aren't uh, saved. And, Which is absolutely true. Uh, yeah, and we can we can certainly talk about that. Um, and you know, so they've been upset that he says that people you can't be saved by being a Jew. And, and so again, with us four horsemen here, those would all seem to be evangelical positions. And as Pastor Jeffers said, these things have been held by the church for two thousand years. What are your thoughts, men, about this hubbub about uh, Pastor Jeffers? When I want your advice, I'll ask for it. I get a kick out of of read in there that. Romney had said that he was a bigot, which is a word that is thrown around mm. a ton in our society. And the thing that's always funny to me about uh, people who use that term, by the time you call someone a bigot, you yourself are being a bigot by very definition. And um, How so? Well, a bigot is someone who is intolerant of another one's belief. So if you're calling someone a name in that sense... You yourself are being a bigot because you are intolerant of the other belief. 
Because I'm sure Romney, he has his Mormon beliefs, right? Well, right. We're, you're talking about a man who whose religion says that uh, people are black because they're full of sin, right? Well, but that's that's been retconned. They, they, yeah, they've changed yeah, that. They've done a lot of that in the Mormon yeah, church, yeah. but you know, he's not really one to talk, right? But you would not uh, think that bigotry doesn't exist, that there are people who are bigots, and so I think oh, uh, absolutely. If you, if you call somebody, it's a, you know, KKK me- member, a bigot, you would be accurate, and that would make you a bigot to say that. Well, by definition, I'd be intolerant of their views. But you should be. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's right. what I'm saying. Well, but being intolerant of a view, let's, let's talk about what intolerant is, right? And maybe what real tolerance is. Correct. Right. So, so what does it mean... What would be the real definition? I'm I'm going to lay out my cards here. What would be the real (laughs) definition of intolerance versus the cultural definition of intolerance that we we would deal with? Intolerance, as our culture is set up now, means anything that is against the political correctness of of the moment. So whatever those cultural mores are, uh, pretty much anything goes. uh, And if you have... Convictions, if you see truth as objective in most any way, then you're going to be labeled intolerant. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a proper tolerance, I think, in which you're kind, respectful, gentle, and dealing with, just like we have these discussions in here, it's obvious that we're very tolerant uh, of, of one another. But, um, you know, the world's view of tolerance is that. As long as they're believing it, living by it, doing it, saying it, they're tolerant, uh, but they will not be tolerant of Christians who believe in the Bible. So you're saying essentially in our culture that uh, tolerance equals agreement. Yes. Right? So you can be as kind as you want, as loving as you want, uh, that that sort of thing. But if you disagree, disagree... then you're considered intolerant. Absolutely. I think it's more than that, though, because intolerance is basically just biblical Christianity. If you believe anything else, like nobody's pitching a fit about all the Muslim countries surrounding Israel that want to commit genocide on an entire race of people. Right. Like nobody, nobody's on the news pitching a fit about that. And against homosexuals. Yeah, I mean, they want to kill them, too. I mean, we're talking about countries that, you know, if you come out as gay, they just throw you off of a rooftop. Mm-hmm. And nobody complains about that in America, but because one guy wants to say that God says something about sexuality or whatever in the Bible, all of a sudden he's a bigot. So the people throwing people off rooftops aren't bigot, and they aren't intolerant, but those Christians, man, those those Christians, they're they're really the bad ones. And so the thing that I'm noticing is, is like, when they say intolerance... Nobody's talking about those intolerant Hindus and those intolerant sure. Wiccans and those... The Buddhists, it's always... Yeah. Evangelical, conservative Christians. There's something to be said about that. Yes. There's the exclusiveness of the gospel. Well, and that's what Jeffress is talking about, right. isn't it? He is. He has come out of the position that only Jesus offers salvation. Right. It's it's only through Christ, and we, uh, four horsemen, of course, would agree with that. Um, so that, by the cultural definition, would make us intolerant. Yes, but but I mean, even uh, Mormonism. Is exclusive. You know if you're going to be a consistent Mormon, right? They would say they all make exclusive claims, right? All but they don't have a true gospel, and that's what it comes down to: is is the heart of man hates the gospel. They hate a God who rules over them and judges them, 
and they hate him in their heart, and that's the reason why they hate Christianity. It's not because it's logically inconsistent. It's not because it's it's uh, the same as other religions. It's just because it tells them, you're not God, you can't do whatever you want with your life, and you're going to be judged on the last day. And people hate that. That's the reason why they don't care about Mormonism. Even though Mormonism would condemn them, Islam will condemn them. Uh, uh, pretty well, much they don't like real. Mormonism when it does condemn them. Like, so when Mormons are uh, 90% vote conservative, Republican, they right. don't like Mormonism then, you know. Right, but even then it's a political thing. But with Christians, sure. the heat is always on. And why? It's because we're preaching a message that says you are under condemnation mm -hmm. and you're going to have to answer to God for your sins. And people hate that message. Yeah. Well, and, and so Jeffress believing that just simply being Jewish is not going to get you into heaven, that you have to have a new birth, You've got to trust in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the, the whole thing is, why in the world would you ask somebody that believes like that to come and pray at an embassy in, in Israel? And the truth is that conservative evangelical Christians are the staunchest supporters of Israel to be found. Yes, yes. And if you listen to his messages and, and look at their belief, their eschatology, if you will, you're going to find a great alignment with the nation of Israel. Not to mention that he was in that place because he also has a, a strong alignment with President Trump. <laughs> right. right. And, so, and so the Donald really likes people that like him. Right, right. Yeah. He's great. It's one, it's one thing they can agree on. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> he, he has the best friends. Yeah. They're the greatest, really. Everybody asks him about how good Phenomenal. his friends are. Yeah. And he always says, I have the best friends. So many people are telling me right. that I have the best friends. Everyone agrees on All my friends tell me they're the best. <laughs> um so yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, Dennis. And I think that there's a um, we talked about in our previous podcast, you know, that there are there are good and bad precedents to be set. This is a very dangerous precedent uh, that is attempting to be set, where a man who takes a position ideologically, he holds a position in his head, and he is tolerant of those people that he thinks aren't right with God. Yet because of the position he holds intellectually in his head, his conviction, he is somehow disqualified even though he treats those other people quite well, right? And it would be consistent with Christianity to be literally tolerant. Mm -hmm. sure. Love but, your neighbor. Lo right. yeah, love your enemy, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but it's the thought police. It's, you know, yeah. it's an Orwellian understanding of, yes. of, of that. And so... You know, we're in that place right now, and more and more we're going to face that kind of heat where you cannot, it's a thought crime, it's a hate crime to have those kinds of convictions, even though I would submit to you that the position of calling people to repentance who are in a false religion and who are living in the moral lifestyle, and whatever the case may be, that that's the most loving thing that we can do. Yeah, you don't love people to give them a pat on the back on the way to hell. Yeah. But of course, hell's not a politically correct thing either. And I realize that Jeffress isn't in political office here, but he is representing the office of the president, you know, when he's praying in that capacity. We have to be very careful in America that we don't allow um, someone's uh, Christian belief that while all religions are welcome, we are a melting pot, we don't force anybody to convert or whatever, um, that we could also hold that, you know, there, there is a such thing as truth, and truth by definition is exclusive. You know, any truth claim is exclusive. Absolutely. 
Um, so we've got to be real careful that people aren't excluded for believing something to be true. And I think another thing is, you know, the idea of Donald Trump in general, he is an, an idea of sorts, uh, can be divisive among Christians. So tell me about you men's thoughts on not necessarily Trump in general, although we can get into some of that, but I think there can be a tendency when people um, hear what Jeffers has said to allow his alignment, like you mentioned, Dennis, with Trump, to sort of uh, skew their view of or defense of or condemnation of, depending on where they fall, of what uh, Jeffers has, has said here. Well, I definitely think with the media's obvious disdain of the president that anyone who uh, is in alignment with him or supportive of him is going to have, you know, all the ammunition aimed against them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen, and you have to understand that. And, uh, you know, obviously there's some things that, about the president that I don't care for. Uh, it's a dangerous thing for me to say because even if I've posted something on Facebook that remotely questions, <laughs> you know, a particular <laughs> policy or the lifestyle of the president or his relationship with the Lord, you get an immediate oh, sure. pushback yeah. from from yeah. people. You it's know. a sacred cow. It, it is. It is. Well, it's yeah. party. I mean, it's party politics. But I do. I do think this is an opportunity because what Jeffers has put out there is essentially uh, a, a, a nutshell gospel. Jesus is the way of salvation. Well, you know, Jeffers is, didn't make a political statement. He's speaking on behalf of a guy that you don't like in President Trump, or that maybe you love him in President Trump, but that's that's uh, irrespective of what he was saying in Correct. terms of Jesus being the only way. So I think it's an opportunity. Anytime the culture uh, talks about uh, the gospel, it's not going to be in a great way, right, by definition. Uh, how, but it does give us a platform to, to explain. Uh, well, let's flip it, and this is the thing that I've always, liberal people will always point to. What if Trump would have had a, Muslim pray, or not maybe not in that setting, but how would we react? Would we be okay with it? Or or would we take the same, have the same reaction? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, Depends on whether he's conservative or not. Conser- conservative Muslim? <laughs> yeah, as long as his platform matches the Republican Party. <laughs> that is the truth. I mean, a lot honestly, of people, yeah. Yeah. that's how Trump got in. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. But I mean, that's always thrown back at me, you know. Well, you know, if a, if they had a Muslim praying or a Mormon praying or or so forth and so on, what would my reaction be? Well, in a pluralistic yes. nation, which we are, for someone to pray according to their convictions would be understandable. That's American and appropriate. It's American. Yes, yeah. yes. We're not talking about. You know, inviting the Muslim cleric to come in our church right. and preach, and right. or at least I'm not. Some right. might advocate that. Another horseman. But but the the truth is that let's say you're having a uh, some meeting somewhere, a county commissioners, and they want to ask a Muslim to pray. He's not going to pray in Jesus' name, but I'm not going to be offended because that he's praying according to his understanding of who God is, and he has the right to do that vehemently disagree with his beliefs but he has the right and and by the same token if i do that same prayer i should have every right to pray in jesus name yeah that's tolerance that's tolerance (laughs) and and for tolerance to exist we have to disagree 
Sure. Right? <laughs> if everybody agreed, there'd be nothing to tolerate, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, so we encourage you as a podcast listener to uh, engage in this topic on Facebook with us. Uh, we'd be glad to talk to you more about it and sort of dig in. Oh, so in relation to the Jews and, and that sort of thing, the other uh, topic we wanted to talk about on this podcast was something else that has uh, come into conversation with the church recently um, through certain pastors, and, and not just the certain pastors, but this is an ongoing conversation that the church has had for millennia, really. And that is the relation between the Old Testament and modern Christians. Now, you know, someone, Andy Stanley, in a, in a recent sermon had talked about sort of the, the um, Ten Commandments being really done away with and the, the phrase unhitched yes, he said that. from the, the Old Testament uh, has come about. And it's called caused quite a stir. So I wanted to get uh, my fellow horseman's thoughts on that, about our relationship with uh, as modern-day Christians with the Old Testament, and uh, maybe we can help um, our listeners uh, analyze or dissect or whatever some of the phraseology that's been used and what's behind that. And so we certainly don't know motivations, but we can talk about implications, can't we? Well, to me, the reality is that if you just want to look at the very basics of the, the Decalogue, those Ten Commandments, if you just want to look in the New Testament, every one of those commands is repeated in the New Testament writings, sure. except one, and that's the, the Sabbath. But I think even there, the principle yeah. is, is found of, of worshiping on the Lord's Day. So, you know, to me, that's the very heart of it. And Jesus gave us the great commandment, which basically is just the summation of the law and the prophets, that we're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves. He's He did not come to do away with the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. And by fulfilling them, I'm not just seeing that as, you know, uh, he took care of everything, and, and now it's over and done with, and we can unhitch from it. He fulfilled its intent, its purpose in him, in himself, in meeting every righteous demand. Mm -hmm. So they were not saved by keeping the law. And surely we all understand that. We're not going to fall into the Galatian error, which is very obvious, of mixing law and grace, which in some of Andy Stanley's he, message, he, he says that. Out. Correct, yeah. 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 And so we wouldn't disagree with that. But is there value in reading, believing, applying, preaching, teaching the Old Testament? I would say that if you remove that, You've taken away the Bible Paul preached from. You're taking away the Bible Jesus preached from. You're taking away quotation after quotation from the New Testament. And a lot of other things there don't make any sense if you, quote, unhitch them from, from the Old Testament. That's my view. Well, I mean, in, in Jesus's, uh, wasn't really a sermon, but essentially his first sermon after rising from the dead was to, with the two guys on the road to Emmaus, he opened up the scriptures yep. to them and talked about everything being essentially pointing to him. Right. Um, so here's Jesus and his glorified body, post-resurrection, bodily speaking to these men. If there's any picture of the new covenant, this is, this is it. <laughs> and what's his text? The Old Testament. Yes. Right, certainly not passed away. Yeah. 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 Moses and the prophets. Adam, you had talked about earlier that using this sort of terminology and sort of freeing people from law keeping and that sort of thing might be helpful in reaching lost people and helping them see the grace uh, that, that is offered in Christ. And um, my guess is that that's probably his motivation. Now, whether uh, I think we have disagreements on whether that's the wise thing to, to say or not, but I'm 
I'm hoping that's his motivation. Did you want to talk to that? When you put into place the things that he has preached and, and read his books and, and you see see those things and you put it all together, you understand that what he's, I believe what he is saying is the church on a practical level. Not from a theological level, but from a practical level in our methodology, you know, uh, things of that nature, we did unhitch from the Old Testament, the temple model, quote unquote. And that, he's even used that. He, he did a whole sermon on uh, getting away from the temple model, that you have to go to a holy place to hear a holy man to read the holy text. Although his attractional model would say you need to get... Right, right, but he, he's talking... Yeah. But he was talking about, you know, the um, priesthood of the believers and, and, and things of that nature. What he is speaking to, and maybe I shouldn't put words in his mouth, but the way I'm interpreting. Yeah, well, I mean, we're just we're is from a is from a practical standpoint, um, because I believe he, he would agree with us on what both of you just talked about with the Old Testament. I, I believe that would be the case. That's what I believe. But I do see a difference in the way. Uh, well, there wasn't a quote-unquote church prior, uh, but the way the methods occurred, the mission changed, the, 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 the all that did change to an extent. Um, so that's kind of what I would say is, what would you guys say is the difference between the way that the believers do things? Well, to me, that you've hit on the issue, and I think that's really the, the problem. His motivation begins with a pragmatic approach that if we say certain things, people are going to be turned off. You've got all these people been hurt in the past by really legalistic churches. And, and I just want to say we, legalism is bad. It's as bad as liberalism. You add to the gospel right. instead of taking away from it. Both are bad. But but his whole approach is, let's, let's look at, at the end result that we want to bring about, and here's what we need to do. And so if it requires stripping away the Old Testament, you know, not talking about creation, Genesis doesn't have to be literal, even making statements about the Jews being this uh, exclusive club that uh, were picked to the exclusion of everybody else. God only loved them, I think he said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think while his motivations might be proper, what we need to do is we need to begin biblically and develop practical applications out of Scripture. And I think he flips that to mm-hmm. me, uh, and, and that's an issue I see. Ben, what are your thoughts on it? That you can say, uh, you know, on the <laughs> podcast. What's <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll a confession? <laughs> the simplest way I can think to say it is, is if you take away the Old Testament, you take away the Gospel. There, there is no Gospel without the Old Testament. It depends on your understanding, too, of the way that you look at covenants and how does that play into the New Testament and that kind of thing. So, for instance, and I haven't heard this message, but just based on what you just said about kind of Andy's position is, you know, uh, that there's no longer a temple, there's no longer a high priest, there's all that kind of stuff. I would totally disagree with that. I would say that there is a temple, that, that Jesus is in the true temple, in the true holy place, offering a true sacrifice as the true high priest. I think that's what Hebrews teaches. I don't think that anything from the Old Testament has passed away. Jesus said there's not a jot or titter of the law that's going to pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the law is is not going to pass away. So I don't think there's anything from the Old Testament that's passed away. I think that it's been fulfilled, 
And a lot of times people confuse that. Of, well, fulfillment means replaced. And basically what Andy was preaching in that sermon was re- replacement theology, that mm-hmm. God just basically just wiped the slate clean with Israel and the law and everything else and just kind of hit the reset button and started with the church and Acts. And the thing is, is you can't, you can't divorce those things because every everything, all of our heritage as Christians, all of the heritage of Jesus, the whole idea of sin and a Messiah and salvation, all of that comes from the Old Testament. And so if you just chop the Old Testament off and ignore the counsel that it has and, and, and kind of divorce the New Testament from the Old Testament, it's kind of like uh, cutting off the branch that you're standing on. You know, like you just, there's nothing to support you anymore. It's like, you go and talk to somebody, well, what, Jesus? Well, you know, the guy that, that was born, okay, why is that a big deal? Well, you know, he was born of a virgin, okay, why is that a big deal? And you just keep asking why, why, What's why? What's communion about? And, yeah. and, and the thing is, is if you remove the Old Testament, you ask all those whys, and you never get any answers for anything. So how is somebody better off by just saying, well, just believe in Jesus? It's like, well, who's that? Yeah. And why should I even care? But when you go back and you say, well, Jesus is the seed of the woman in Genesis 3. Jesus is Moses' staff. He's the pitch on the ark. He's the rock in the wilderness. Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. You know, he's he's the, the ram caught in the thicket. When you go back and you look at all of that, this this same Jesus, the, the substitute that's always... Same thing with the chosen people of Israel, right? So, like, obviously there's people in the Old Testament, like we talked about earlier, that were saved outside of the nation of Israel. The Bible is clear on that. So the gospel has not... It's not like it was just for Jews in the Old Testament. Now it's for everybody. It's always been by grace through faith for anybody who will believe the same way that that uh, Abraham did. Why did he choose a nation? He did that because, again, it's symbolizing this idea of God has a chosen people. And so all these concepts that we get in the modern church of why we worship and why Jesus is a big deal and why does there have to be a cross, and you can't ask any of those questions and get any answers without the Old Testament. Well, and just historically, I mean, not... Okay, so the Messiah, God the Son, born a man, right, adding full humanity to his divinity, must then be born of a woman. That woman must have a heritage. That woman must come from a people. That was a promise to Abraham, right? Out of, out of your lineage, all, mm-hmm. all, the, all the world will be blessed, right? So um, in, a, in a very literal, biological, ethnic sense, um, we cannot divorce Jesus from the Jews, yeah, we, let, we cannot. Let me. Uh, I agree with everything you guys just said, but again, I think the question is, like you said, Jesus is now our high priest. You know, the temple. What does that look like? What does that look like practically? Well, like we we can we we I agree with all the theology behind it, but the question is, the the church today, what is different? Well, we don't have to go to a temple. Anymore, we don't have to sacrifice. Right, but anymore. you can't explain that to people I, if you divorce or unhitch from the Old Testament. And I completely agree. Sense. So the question is, what is different? Uh, right, is different from what you're saying. The the old what does fulfillment look like? Is what yeah, yeah. What does it practically look like? So, that 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 I believe is what he is talking about in communicating in portal. So, for Another example, passage. if we when we observe the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, "This is the new covenant in my blood." Well, Jeremiah is where that comes from. Right. And so the way, which is in the Old Testament, ding, 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 right? So (laughs) in order for us to explain that, even if we don't reference Jeremiah, we need to explain, listen, there was this old covenant, (laughs) right? right? Which also pointed to Jesus. Jesus wasn't abolishing that one. He said, it's it's fulfilled. Here I I am. So you would say there is a change. 
There is a change, okay. yes. And that's what that's what But I'm we can of. only communicate that change Correct. and help people understand here's what the new covenant is. Correct. But that not everything has changed. And and that there still had to be atonement. Right. There's still you know, all See, I would those things. Hebrews eleven. You You're saying application? It's changed. That's we what he's talking sacrifice about. Sacrifice animals, but and, well, but there is a real sacrifice going on right now, is what I would say. I, I would disagree. No. Yeah, he's once that, and for all. He Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Intercession Hebrews, that, is that's not, not the same as that's sacrifice. As the high priest, how does the high priest make intercession? He he prays. Yes. Okay, but but the but the idea of the priestly office and the you sacrifice get into Roman being Catholicism. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not talking about him being sacrificed again. I'm saying that his sacrifice is distributed eternally. So it doesn't just get us into the kingdom; it keeps us in the. Oh, kingdom. of course, right? Yes. But it, but that's different than saying that Jesus is standing in a temple right now, making a sacrifice. Right. Right, but but what I, what I am saying is this, and this is I think where I would disagree with with like Andy's position or, or what you're saying as far as practically. Hebrews says that the old covenant was they were types and shadows, that everything that we see there, the, the physical temple, the tabernacle, the sacrificing of rams and and bulls and goats, all that kind of stuff was a symbol to teach us about something that is real. Um, it's almost kind of Platonic in a way, you know. It's it's this idea of like Platonism. You're talking yeah, about. yeah, like 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 so like we're we're we have a, something visual to see, but it's just representative of something that's actual that we can't see. Which ultimately we understand that in the gospel, in the sense of we are not saved because we see Jesus on the cross. We're saved because we believe by faith in Jesus' work on the cross, and so it's by grace that we're saved, which was purchased for us through the sacrifice of Christ. But it's through that faith that we believe it. So the reason why we don't have all of the laws and all these kind of things isn't because they've passed away. For one, it's because Jesus kept the law for us. And so, uh, so we are keeping the law in him. But the other thing is that those things are no longer necessary because we have the fulfillment of that. So if you want to understand what the sacrificial system is, you don't look at a physical temple building and rams and goats. You look at the Son of God on the cross. And... By having faith in that, you actually receive grace. And would so, you say that is a change from the Old Testament? No, I would say it's the fulfillment of it. See, that's why Paul says Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed right. for us. So that's a direct link with, with the Old Testament. Yeah. So the difference between the lamb that they ate on the evening of Passover at the Last Supper and Jesus is that Jesus was the real lamb, and the lamb was just a symbol. So we of just Jesus. do it differently. Do what differently? I mean, uh, okay, everything we're talking. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You're like, then this happened, then this happened, then Jesus came, then Jesus fulfilled it. It's not that you're forgetting the Old Testament and saying, no, we're doing away with it. Things changed. But it's the but the language of, what what would you say Andy meant by the, the phrase unhitched? He's talking about from a practical standpoint, that from, you know, well, I, uh, prime example, I had, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. He's, an, he's not a Christian, he's lost as can be. And in that discussion, he's like, man, I've read the Old Testament. You know, I've read the Old the Old Testament. There's no way I can keep up with all this. I'm like, exactly. You know, exactly. And so I went through that whole, you know, the, the thing. But then we got to the conversation of Jesus. What Andy is trying to say about unhitching from the Old Testament is in the way we go about things. Okay, so like in the sermon that we're, refer- we're referencing here, he talked about, 
um, an instance of what you're saying. He talked about people that were, he would, I think the phrase he used, they have a little bit of Moses and a little bit of Jesus and a little right. bit of Moses to where and he talked about, he talked about the uh, Judaizers and having people circumcised, mm -hmm. you know, um, right. and all those sorts of things. So I, I think we're all in agreement with, with those sorts of things in that there were covenantal practices such as the identification of the covenant being circumcision that we don't observe today. Right. Yes. And so, if if that's the the the, de the definition of what Adam means, things have changed. Would you guys agree with with those sorts of things? Well, see, again, it's this idea of, of progressive revelation or fulfillment. So I don't think I think that uh, the people of God today are still marked by circumcision, but so it's not heart. a circumcision of the flesh. It's a circumcision. So of there the was heart. a change. No, no, it was it's always intended to be that. It was, always, it's always so. So the point, but it's changed that we don't additionally have a, the it, physical. It's, it's, right, it's a that, and that's that because uh, I, I understand we're you're going saying, back to you're the saying, Okay, is the fact that you're using the word change is what makes me uncomfortable. If you're saying that we practice it differently, correct. That's the that I, I that I can go with. If you're saying that it changed, that's implying that it's doing something different than it did before, which I don't believe it is. Okay, but, but, but we I still think the do it. Is the same, but we call it baptism, just as that physical circumcision. Or I would call it regeneration. The the physical circumcision was a sign of the of the heart <laughs> being made right. So today. We practice baptism, which yeah. doesn't save you, but is an outward sign of the end. That's the better way washing. to put it. Our practices are different because and of Jesus. And that, I whole, I believe, that is what he's talking about, the unhitching, based upon the things that he's talked about in the past. Now, Dennis, you said you don't think that's what he's saying. No. Tell me what makes you disagree with that interpretation of... <laughs> because at the very end, the climax of this message, he's talking about those things that he calls... Yes, maybe this is not his word, but frames it as barriers to people coming to believe in Jesus. He wants us just to get back to the resurrection. That's all you need to think about. Don't worry about, you know, whether God actually made the world in seven, you know, in six days. And don't be concerned about if there was really a flood. Don't be concerned about what Genesis has. Don't be wrapped up in, you know, the morality I mean, even the Ten Commandments, you know, which... Or the which, miraculous. He yeah, even talks the miraculous, about the miraculous, yes, because yeah. if you don't believe in the miraculous, you know, don't worry about that. And and I understand the point, and, and I think that there's some validity that if we were, you know, if I was in a home of a skeptic uh, and they start bringing all this stuff up, obviously I, I can't persuade them and, and out-argue them if they don't want to be persuaded, but nobody can ever find fault with Jesus, you know, legitimately. And so we keep directing people to him and, and to faith in that. You're not saved because you believe there was actually an ark. You know, you're saved because Jesus is that ark. You yeah, know? but those things can can be barriers. They can be. Uh, and, and that's his point. Well, and but I would disagree with him in saying that we shouldn't uh, <laughs> hit the switches. Of, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what Adam's laughing about is my chair just sank. Um, wow, he got wow, he got wow. very short. Yeah, yeah. He's now the uh, level of Benjamin. I'm over here with, with B curve. <laughs> so where I, what I disagree with him on that though is yes, um, belief in God created or we spontaneously arose because of the laws of physics, or did you know God really do some of the miracles in the Old Testament or and I, I would say Andy would probably take some umbrage or whatever with having uh, miracles in the New Testament necessarily 
so so I, I would say that yes, those things can be barriers to belief, but necessarily so. Right? So in order for you to truly believe in in trust in Jesus for forgiveness of your sins, part of that is you're gonna have to believe that he rose from the dead. That's a miracle, brother. Right. And and, and that again that's what he's saying, because and the re- what reason I say that is like I don't think it was I don't think we were recording at that moment. But when you have these discussions as you brought up, you talk to any skeptic or anybody who's anti-Christian or whatever you want to put, they automatically go to Old Testament law. Automatically, yeah, they go. Christians there. don't know anything about the Old Testament. Right, they go to the Old Testament law because of people like Andy saying we just need to focus on the New Testament. But but, here, but here's the but here's the point though. And you brought it up. And when you can point to Jesus in all those circumstances, you're still pointing to Jesus. Let's let's get who Jesus is. Yeah. Let's get who Jesus is. However, those things have to have a historical context. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. So if I say that Jesus died for your sins, am I making a statement about theology or history? Both. And it has to be both. Right. And the same the It's same more thing about is a true. starting point. I think I think it's more about a starting point. Well, but that's not what Andy's talking about. A starting point is not unhitching. That's kind. Of, I, I think that's a different. And Andy's saying, if you don't like your sandwich with crust on it, just cut the edges off and eat the part you like. But I don't think that's right. what he's saying. I think it's again going back to that the the evangelism part. Let's talk about who who do you believe Jesus is. You're be- you're who? believing in a Jesus that's attested to by a Bible that you can't trust. But again, that's not. I don't believe that's what he's saying. But but if you, what if I'm you saying hit. is is that let's start with Jesus. Who is Jesus? Let's discuss Jesus. And well, then, Jesus is this, and then the rest falls into place. But but here's what will happen: when you start in with that, you start down that path, you're going to get to the place to where, well, maybe it was a spiritual resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you know, just so you be, you know, and the, you can that, hit those points because I mean, we've gone down those paths. I mean. The excuses for the resurrection, you know, well, it was the swoon theory, is all these things, and you can, but you hit those points. And again, I I don't think it's me personally. Obviously, I believe the Old Testament. Obviously, I believe all of what we've said. I I wholeheartedly agree. Your ordination, (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree. I'm just saying that he believes from a starting point. Let's start with Jesus. Like, let's 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 worry about this other stuff later, and that's where he's communicating poorly. Was that what Jesus? Mormon, yeah. Mormon Jesus, Baha'i Jesus. But I mean, but, but again, you you can get into the biblical Jesus, that, and and I would say it depends on the culture we're talking to. You know, when when Paul is talking to, on Mars Hill, for example, he he started with Jesus, and they were like, "This is just weird stuff." So he, Paul had to back up. Right, he went back to creation. Right. Right and talked about yet yeah, there's there really there's this real God Creator God and He really made you right and so he he then framed who Jesus was in that context and he had to have a lot more conversations with those folks but to say that we can our starting point should always be Jesus because that's the context that matters that would go against Paul's methodology and I would agree with that. and I would say if we're going to model our evangelism on trying to be uh, winsome ambassadors of Jesus to lost people. I would I would rather follow Paul's methodology than Andy's methodology. And and, and I, again, it goes to methodology. Yeah. I really I don't think it's a theological issue with him. The way he's communicating it, the way he communicated, case it makes it seem like he personally has right. And I and I don't and I think he maybe he does. I well, that's and you and I have talked about that. Yeah, but but that's where I think it's a methodological. Uh, <laughs> 
Methodological. Yeah, that's a big word. <laughs> Speaking in tongues, First Corinthians. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's where I think that's the issue at hand with it. Yeah. But as far as the unhitching of the Old Testament, it is going to the way it is practiced. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, if you if you feel like you have to do something to the canon of Scripture to justify to somebody why they should believe in Jesus, what whether you're saying it actively or not, what you're saying is, is I'm ashamed of parts of the Scriptures. I don't feel That's like true. I can stand on Genesis I, or, or Kings, or I don't know why God told them to slay all the Amalekites, and right. I feel uncomfortable, and I'm ashamed to talk about the fact that that's in my Bible, right. so I'm just going to talk about the things that make sense to I don't think that's always the motivation, though. No, but I'm saying, whether actively or passively, that's essentially what you are implying, is that I'm not going there because I don't feel comfortable with it, or because I don't accept that myself. Well, not necessarily. I, w- I would stop short of saying that it's it's necessarily motivated by being ashamed of... I'm talking about Christians that are sharing that, though. I'm talking about unbelievers in, in the sense of what what I hear Andy saying is is I really want this person to be saved. I'm not exactly sure what he even means by that because I don't listen to him a lot. But whatever he thinks salvation is, that's what he's wanting people to do. I think that's pretty obvious. He wants people to follow Jesus. But what he's saying is, is if the Bible gets in the way of somebody doing that, then just take the Bible out of the equation. But the problem is, is you can't have one way to No, he does say other. that. I believe he does say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Say that again? What, what? He's basically saying, I want you to follow Jesus, and if the Bible's getting in the way of you doing that, then just take that out of the equation and follow Jesus, which is basically what he's doing with the resurrection argument. You might believe that the whole rest of the Bible is untrue, but just ignore all of that and just follow Jesus and everything will be fine. But then what happens is then you're following a Jesus that you invent in your mind, not the Jesus that Scripture actually teaches. Well, I think... I, I believe it's really just believism at that point. There's no, there, you don't have any evidence or reason to believe that. You've just chosen to believe it, and you can, <laughs> and it can. Jesus can be whoever you want him to be right. because he's divorced from the scripture. I, I don't believe he is saying, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, that you can be a Christian and not believe the Bible, and and you can throw I think the Bible. That's exactly, what he's I don't saying. think so because you look at their discipleship program and you look at their small group discussions. It's not there. The, it, again, is a starting point. Let's start here. Now, we can disagree on that. We can say, well, you should start in Leviticus or you should start in wherever. But he's saying, this is a starting point. Let's let's start walking here, and then we're going to get deeper and deep, deep and wide. Well, Catholicism is a starting point, too. It, it's just, or? it is a it is a method. It is a program. It, it is, again, a starting point to grow people. Because I would encourage you. Look at their small group discuss. You can download their questions. You can download their small group discussions. You can download. But I'm all talking. That. I'm talking about the forty thousand or whatever <clears throat> the people that hear it on Sunday morning. But I again, haven't listened to him as much as you have, admittedly. But I've heard multiple sermons where he basically says you don't have to believe the Bible to be a Christian. You just have to believe in the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, dear listener, uh, we we would encourage you to consider this issue in general. I know we've used Andy as an example. Methodology matters. These things matter. That's why we are willing to spend our emotional capital with one another and uh, put strain on our friendships with one another, maybe, those sorts of things, and doing it. And they, uh, we hope that they matter enough to you that you will engage with us uh, further uh, in future podcasts and on, it, on this podcast on Facebook. Like, rate, subscribe. 
Shout out to Aaron Dyson for our trial. You can topic. continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast. Man, they call him for Katrina.